Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts, and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values, and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's show. I hope you're doing well. This week's episode is an interview with Becky Valentine, who, along with her sister, runs a family business called Spendbeck. And they own grade two listed buildings and rent them out as offices. And so we speak about how they have taken on the challenge of sustainability and measuring against the UN's sustainable development goals. It's a really interesting conversation. Becky shares an awful lot about how they approach uh, this particular topic, how it is embedded in what they do. uh, And I'm really pleased with uh, what we covered. And I hope you enjoy it too, which I'm sure you will. Before we get into the show, just a reminder again that if you wanted to show your support for what I'm doing with the podcast, you can do so via a buy me a coffee link, which is a way of essentially buying me a coffee as a thank you for what I'm doing with the podcast. And the link to take you to that is available on the podcast website, which is fanbizpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you again to all those who have done so already and have left ratings for the show and shared it with their friends and their family. Uh, It really is appreciated. Um, This series, we are continuing our look at sustainability and uh, part of my sustainability strategy is to ensure that the podcast remains sustainable as well. So any support is gratefully received. After this week's show, we've got some more great interviews coming up with family businesses sharing their experience of adopting sustainability as part of their day-to-day. So plenty more to come in this series on sustainability. But for now, please enjoy the interview with Becky. I'll hand over to that now. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. My guest this week is Becky Valentine. She is co-owner and lead of sustainability well-being and building health at Spenbeck, which is a family business. Becky, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. And we are going to be talking about your own experiences of implementing sustainable strategies. But before we get into that, please give our audience a bit of background about you, about your family business and uh, yeah, how you came to be involved uh, in what you're doing now. Thank you. So um, Spenbeck is a uh, very, very shortly going to celebrate our 40th birthday. So uh, Congratulations. July next week. Thank you very much. It's nice to be celebrating a birthday younger than me. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're second generation, my sister Victoria and I. Um, our father and uncle started a company uh, really to regenerate the lace market in Nottingham. 
they uh, acquired 50,000 square foot of grade two listed former lace warehouses uh, that were in a state of disrepair. Some of them had no roofs. Uh, I just decided that would be a really good idea when everyone else thought they were insane. Um, <laughs> fast forward 40 years, we pretty much do the same thing now. Happily, all the roofs are still there. But it's, for us, it's about custodianship and stewardship of the buildings. They are exquisite. Uh, the lace market in Nottingham has the highest concentration of listed buildings anywhere in the country. Um, and it's a challenge, but one we're trying to rise to in terms of maintaining them for the next generation um, in, a, in a sustainable way, both the fabric of the building and environmentally as well. So uh, I came into the company, gosh, just over 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago now, uh, background in teaching, um, and then came into the family business, having said, poor blind, I would never do it, like a lot of people in my position, I think, and it eventually just gave up. Uh-huh. Um, and it's been wonderful. Um, but my sister and I have our distinct roles, and, uh, and my one now is uh, just over the last couple of years, really, has been to focus on the sustainability and using the building and how we look after the building and our tenants within it, because we have, it's all office space, how we can maximise the space to help them thrive. Uh, that, that's what we see our purpose as being. And sustainability has been a massive, massive tool within that. And we've got a long way to go, but uh, yeah, it's, we're just right at the start of it, but it's good fun. Fantastic. And I'm really, really interested to get into how, given the fact that you're in older buildings that are listed, there's perhaps some uh, restrictions as a result of that in terms of what you might want to do on the, the sustainability um, side. So it'd be really cool to, to get into some of that a bit later on. Before that, though, it, sustainability is such a big word at the moment and there's obviously we're doing a series on sustainability and trying to sort of share experiences and share resources and tools that people can use to help them on their journey but sometimes I think it's good to just go right back to basics and say what is it we mean by sustainability and I think different businesses can adopt it in a, in a different way can you just speak to how you and Spenbeck have kind of taken on sustainability as, as what it means to you and, and your family? I think for us, without realising it, we have always looked at sustainability as sort of the triple bottom line approach. So it's sustainability of the company to make sure it's there for future generations. It's sustainability for the community that we're in and sustainability for the environment. And, you know, I hold my hand up and say that the environmental side of sustainability has really only recently come to the fore. And it's the holistic approach for us. You know, it's, it's all aspects of it. It's not, it's not the greenwashing. It's not the, oh, what can we do that looks good? It's, it's a genuine long-term belief. I know you've chatted to other people in their podcasts about this long-term thing that we have as a family business. And that, for us, has really been the driver is what can we do long-term to sustain our business and because our business is, is predominantly providing office space, what can we do to then sustain their business? And then through that, environmental sustainability is a huge, increasingly huge part of that. And so when you said you realised it was something that you were, were doing and when you were made aware of the sort of triple bottom line, you're like, but that resonates, that's what we're doing, that's our approach. How did you then go from that to perhaps being more deliberate if that's the right word about your approach to sustainability yeah we we just made it more strategic in terms of 
what we're actually doing, where the gaps are, and what we wanted to achieve. You know, we are we are a tiny business. It's just my sister and I in it. Um, our parents are are the other four di- to make it the four directors, but it's just us. We have very limited capacity. But it was a case of okay, let's pat ourselves on the back. What are we currently doing that works well? What, what are we currently doing that maybe needs changing? And then what else can we do? Um, and there's there's just been so much, particularly in the last eighteen months, and, and it can at times be overwhelming. But I think taking a more strategic approach and a more objective approach, less touchy feely, and and more come on, you know, what can we actually do to make this work for us, for other people? That that. I think has been the real difference. There's a lot of chat about it and oh, isn't it a good idea? But actually, how do we make it happen? Yeah, and uh, again, we've mentioned it on previous uh, episodes in this series, but about measuring where you are and recognising where you are. And I think one of the approaches that I've heard from various different people at different stages in terms of their own uh, sustainability agendas is that it's progress over perfection rather than looking at it as we have to be right up here into what we're doing and measuring and all that kind of stuff. But but actually starting where you are and then looking at where you want to progress to, which sounds like that's what you did and yeah. how you approached it. And and what we've mentioned some of the toolkits that, that have been available to people. What sort of things did you find most useful when you were looking at how do we start measuring and, and looking at it in that way you hit the nail on the head because it it's something that's so big that you can although you you're there and go, yeah i really wanted to do this actually where, where do you start it's so overwhelming and and my light bulb moment was the sdgs the sustainable development goals um although the you know sort of first came across i went oh my gosh 17 i thought a lot and then actually went okay well which ones apply to us let's be honest we're not we're, we're a two-person company we're finding the whole scheme of things, but what, instead of being overwhelmed and going, well, this, this isn't for us, what can we do? So we sat there and just audited what we currently do against the 17 SDGs. And actually we did quite a lot and I was pleasantly surprised. And then from that, that was our sort of benchmark. We go, right, okay, from here, let's, let's compare ourselves to now, this is the starting point, and, and what can we build on? What can we continue to do but better? And what gaps can we try and fill? And that's what we're using as our driver. Because, I mean, I haven't looked at a lot of things and there's an increasing number of toolkits out there and they are, in their own ways, very helpful. But I think it's easy to get tripped up by some of them and sometimes just to start on a really simple basis, particularly when you're a tiny company like us. For other companies, some of the toolkits are just absolutely spot on. But for us, I found the simplicity of literally just looking at, going through what we do, and aligning them to each of them. And as I say, I was pretty pleasantly surprised. It was good. And their goals, the, the sustainable development goals, that the the 17 that the UN have published are, I don't I don't want to oversimplify it by saying that they're simple, but they're really easy to understand, aren't they? It's not, they're not complex in terms of their language or how you would define it or how you would measure it but it gives you something specific and and some will resonate instantly with people and go yes that's that's such a passion of mine others will go okay well what, what do we need to focus a bit more on here because it's not something we focus on now mm-hmm. but they are in their essence quite simple aren't they no i mean and that's what oh. i liked about them you know once i got over the numbers and thought oh my gosh we've got to look at all these actually 
there was a lot of cases of going, well, that's so number four, it's, it's about education. And well, that's not us, that's not what we do. We're like, well, hang on a minute. And we created an online archive to talk about the history of the Birkin building, to the, the building that we have in the lace market, because we're very conscious that the, the lace industry information is dying off with the generations. And, and we really wanted to, to keep, it's such an important building with such a wealth of history. Um, we wanted to keep that. So, so we did all this work with the archive and a, and a virtual tour and thought, well, actually, that is education. It's not necessarily in the sense of educating girls in, in Africa, but in terms of protecting our sort of cultural heritage in Nottingham and sustaining that interest in, in lace for, for future generations, that actually was it. So we got from a position of writing that off to go, well, no, actually, in some small way, as you say, this is all about progress, not perfection. And once you get that mindset, it's easy because then it's baby steps. And if we all take baby steps, then collectively we've, we've achieved something huge and particularly the smaller end of, of the family businesses, which obviously we sit in. I think it's easy. And I know I felt almost a degree of paralysis at the start thinking I've got to achieve something massive. So it's never going to happen. Mm. But as I know, um, I think it was uh, Andrew was talking about in, in an earlier uh, episode, you know, it is the quick wins. And, and that's where I felt just auditing against the SDGs was a really powerful, simple tool to just give ourselves a pat on the back look at, feel motivated by what we're already doing. If we're starting from zero, it might feel quite daunting, but I don't believe there's a company out there that's starting at zero. Everyone is doing something. Uh-huh. And I think it's a positive way to engage your company and feel energized to, to move forward with it. Because otherwise, it really, I keep saying it, but it, it can be so overwhelming. Yeah. And, and therefore, I put in. You made a really valid point there around thinking it's something that has to be a grand process and a, a, a massive undertaking in order to apply something to one of those sustainable um, goals. Taking that example of the education one, you can think kind of too broad and go, oh my goodness, what have I, what can I do in order to, to do that? But actually when you recognize what you're doing and apply that against those goals, you will find that you're achieving more towards that than you are. And that's a morale boost and gives you the sort of um, encouragement and an emphasis to go more towards the ones that perhaps you are um, not so strong in uh, as well. Absolutely. And we've used it. Um, we've created a sustainability policy for the first time in uh, Nottingham, Nottingham City Council. I've uh, been the first council, I believe, to pledge to be carbon neutral. Um, so their target is 2028, and we've signed up to that. Now, as a grade two listed building in a conservation area, we're not entirely sure that we can achieve it, but as a target, absolutely. And, yeah. and so what we did is we set our SDG audit against that. So although we meet 10 of the 17 SDGs, or, or we contribute towards them, we've then focused on five key ones. Uh-huh. So we're not ignoring the other ones, but actually we've then distilled it down to, right, what, what can we do to make a difference? What can we do? SDG wise to hopefully meet or get as close to that carbon neutral as possible. And, and it's really powerful and it, and it simplifies it. And I think that that is the thing, particularly the micro for me, uh-huh. it is all about the simplification. It is preventing yourself from going, you know what, this is too much. I'm not going to bother because I'm just feeling that I'm not quite sure which way to go. And, you know, look at all the stuff I just, um, the, uh, the SME climate hub, You've got all the uh, the UN stuff. There's so much stuff around there. It's just finding what works for you as a company. Yeah. And I think Fiona was saying it in, in one of your episodes about 
find what works for you. Don't use people to inspire you and to support you and to help you. Don't try and copy. Yeah. Ironically, don't be a carbon copy. You know, just <laughs> find what, what, what it is that will work for your company. And then you can just fly with it. And I think it's, it's a really powerful thing. And we as family businesses, with the longer term view, don't need the quick returns. So we mm-hmm. can look at what works. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point, particularly the carbon copy thing. I'm going to steal that and use that a lot now. I think Very that's, that's a great way of describing it as well, given the, the context of the series. So, yeah, really, really the English language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've mentioned a couple yeah. of times about the, the fact you're in grade two listed buildings. And... I imagine I'm I'm no expert in that area at all, but I imagine they're not particularly built for in the same way as a modern office would be in the ability to to sort of incorporate sustainability. It's not as easy as if you were starting from scratch to be able to implement some of the things. What sort of challenges have you faced and how have you then faced those given the environment you're operating within? Well, it, it's an interesting question because there's two parts to it and I'm not 100% on it I'll hold my hand up now but in terms of sort of whole life carbon usage it's one of the most efficient buildings there'll be uh-huh. because it, when, we're, when we're looking at the embodied carbon the buildings that already exist are the most effective the most efficient uh-huh. you think about all these new buildings that are growing up with all of these energy efficient measures, sustainability measures, heat pumps, car, um, solar panels, what have you, amazing. But the energy used and embodied to get to that point will always outweigh the buildings that already exist. Uh-huh. So our buildings are built in 1854, um, triple brick, solid walls. They're great. The Victorians knew exactly what they were doing. Uh-huh. Um, in terms of new initiatives, it's terrific. <laughs> 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 Because we've got to marry up the uh, energy efficiency requirements with listed building requirements, um, with ventilation requirements. So uh, we're just going through a program now of secondary glazing, 78 of our beautiful original Victorian paned windows, which is fabulous, but we've, we can't just put secondary glazing in. We've, we've had to think about air tightness and airflow, because if we ventilate it incorrectly and we hermetically seal it, they will have real problems with moisture retention later on. So it isn't a case from a heritage angle of let's just throw all of these things at it, all the latest technologies, because that could actually be damaging the building in the longer term. So it is interesting. Uh, we work closely with uh, Historic England on it. Um, it's going to be a massive issue. I know Fiona was talking about retrofitting and the challenge of that. It is going to be a huge, huge issue. And I think it's one the government are possibly sticking their head in the sand over at the moment. Uh-huh. And we'll get to we'll get to a point when everyone will go, oh no, we're a bit late now. And so this is what we're trying to do by using the 2028 pledge. We're trying to get ahead of the game because this is going to be tricky for us. You know, EPCs, there was an article about it only a couple of days ago, not really necessarily fit for purpose for a heritage building. Uh-huh. Certain heritage buildings, let's say, um, because they're measuring things we, we just can't meet. And the legislation around what EPC we need to reach to be able to lease to companies in a few years' time. There's no necessarily guarantee we're going to actually physically be able to manage that. And we have a fantastic uh, list of building department at the City Council here in Nottingham, very pragmatic, 
how can we make this work? You know, they're happy for us to have solar panels on the roof as long as it doesn't to the detriment of the, of the building, all this sort of stuff. But I think from a heritage aspect, there's only so much you can do, you know, when it's listed and and, and we we are finding that we, we will reach a point where we know we can't go any further. Uh-huh. And we're committed to getting to that point. But a huge amount of, of grief, hassle, expense, tears, the lot it will be over the next <laughs> few years. But we'll, we'll do it. But I think that is the issue when you're looking at heritage and particularly listed. There's so many different competing requirements out there. It's fun and games, but, you know. Yeah, I bet. We and don't try. We won't succeed in it, in any of it. So, and, and that goes back to the progress, not perfection side, right, as well, because it's you're – you're doing as much as you can in the best way that you can without being put off by the fact that it, I mean, it's unlikely any business would ever get to that perfect state in every measurement, but it is not putting you off. It's almost, well, that's a challenge. Let's, let's strive towards as close as we can get to it as we, we possibly can. And again, I think that comes back to the benefit of it being a family business and the mindset. If we were, if we were, say, a larger publicly owned company where they had shareholders wanting their return, this, this is another building for them. You know, it's the fact that we are able to take a longer term perspective on it. What, what do we need to achieve? And we're insane. You know, let's not forget the company <laughs> was founded on looking at derelict buildings going, why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it kind of feels like, you know, we're just, just carrying that battle on. But again, I feel, I feel very strongly that because it's a challenge it shouldn't put us off i mean all of this is a huge challenge what are we saying to ourselves and our future generations if we're going to work a bit too hard they're not going to bother we can't do that mm-hmm. and if we all bit by bit do our do what we can in whatever way we can it doesn't have to be expensive it doesn't have to be time consuming but if we're going to see these challenges and go oh well that's that's too much we're not going to bother we're in real trouble we, we mm-hmm. can't do that so uh you know, I subscribe to the, yeah, let's go for it. See, what, what's the worst that can happen? Quite yeah. a lot in this instance. <laughs> let's get going. Yeah, I agree on that point. And, again, given your uh, environment, that the office um, buildings, and you let those out to tenants and businesses to, to come in and utilise that space, so you can control what you can control within the building itself and the energy efficiency and the glazing and and that that you've spoken about there how much can you influence or control what happens when a tenant is in that building in terms of say energy consumption or how they then operate within what you're doing we can't we can't we can work in partnership with them and and that's what we do and that's one of the wonderful things uh, about our sort of spend back tenant community as we call it we have like-minded people and, and we're finding that now the demand for offices is, is stronger than ever, actually, uh, which I know comes as a surprise to some people. But one of the reasons that we drive sustainability is a key thing for us is because we want to support our tenants. So a lot of them come in who are ISO 1400 certified or, or want to be environmental sustainability is really important to them. So we just work in partnership. We try and support them as best we can through the building. Uh-huh. Um, anything else is up is up to them. So, um, and we're on site you know, um, as landlords. We have an office within our tenants, so that we experience what they're experiencing. And if we we audit them every six months, we we ask them their opinions on what sustainability initiatives they want us to to improve. If we can, they understand. If we can't, we explain why we can't. But if we can, even even a fraction, then we do that. 
um, because it's important to us to provide the best environment for them. And, and our thoughts are that's an, a sustainable one, an environmentally sustainable one. Yeah. You know, and, and there are so many different facets to that as well. That that's the the exhausting but wonderful thing about <laughs> in office provision. You know, we're talking from uh, the design that we offer. You know, when when Victoria, who leads the design uh, service that we offer, it's about sustainability at the heart of the products they're using. It's recycling where we do fit out. It's recycling the carpet tiles using recycled carpet tiles where we can. You know, it's, it's thinking about the whole circular economy and end of life of this stuff. So that when we're saying, oh, yeah, it's sustainable, it's, it's genuinely sustainable as it can be. Mm. And we're not achieving on everything. Absolutely not. We've got a long way to go. But the more we do it, the more the tenants incoming and the tenants we've got are alongside us and they're energised and we, we learn from each other. And it, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing to have when we co-create this sort of passion and then that feeds down to their clients and their business colleagues. And, and it, it's the groundswell of movement, isn't it? And everyone then gets excited and joins in, but it's not going to be a quick process. No, but, but but one of the things you mentioned is that you work in partnership, and I'm guessing the reason that lots of companies would come to you to say we want to uh, utilize your offices is because of the approach you've taken to sustainability. Is that that's appealing, and that's becoming demanded in the marketplace. Um, I think there's also. Uh, more of um, an awareness now, which is a, a good thing around our impact as human beings at, at every level of what we do, but also in terms of workforces demanding that they work for companies that have that outlook, that they have that yeah. awareness and drive towards sustainability. Is that something that you're seeing in um, your sort of tenants and the people uh, you're speaking with? Absolutely, hugely. And uh, we do a lot of of awareness raising really in the in the offices at the moment we generally have I think it's called different generations and the decision makers generally speaking um the older people in the office their understanding of environmental sustainability was oh just recycle a piece of paper you know and a lot has changed and the gulf between them and the gen z workforce coming in is is huge and we do speak to an awful lot of people who go yeah no we don't we don't need this sort of stuff and it's like okay but you're not going to be recruiting mm. and you're not going to be retaining staff because, I mean, we did a, we did a survey, a Gen Z survey, and it was 86% of the Gen Z thought that the companies should implement SDGs as best they could. Wow. And over 25% of them said they would actively work or not work for a company based on the sustainability initiatives that they had. And, I mean, my oldest daughter is 14, and I very proudly showed her a little keyring I bought the other day of a... It said, save me in its little planet. And she just, uh-huh. I was like, oh, look at that. And she just took one look at it and went, well, what's the carbon footprint of making that then? Like, without, <laughs> didn't even take a breath. And it's so embedded and ingrained in them. Whereas I think for my generation and older generations, it was kind of like a nice to have and we'll, we'll play a little bit. It's absolutely fundamental. So as a business, if you are not offering genuine environmental sustainable commitment in whatever way you can, you know, again, it's not the big thing. If you can't do that, that's fine. But people want to know that you're genuine and people want to know that you are honestly and actively working towards it. And you are, the recruitment is just going to really suffer. They will go elsewhere. And I think post-COVID, there is now no excuse. And I think Gen Z workers 
especially will be they're very savvy they've got social media to back them up they can see who's doing what who isn't doing what and they will recruit accordingly and i think that's going to massively change the recruitment market and therefore sort of the the office market so for us we need to provide office spaces that support companies recruitment uh-huh. that supports their esg investment that that helps them win tenders because if they're not in the right office they're not going to be getting the client that they want and not going to get to the staff they want and uh-huh. and we're lucky because it's a genuine feeling for us plus the fortune yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, and 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 we do it because we genuinely mean it. We love the building. We love providing offices in which companies can thrive. And yeah, it, it, but it has to be a partnership to make that happen as well. Oh. And what you were saying there about that, in terms of the recruitment side of things, that people are actively seeking out employers who um, at least operate towards the, the sustainable t- development goals. That goes back to what we were saying at the beginning is actually using those as a measure for where you are. If that question does come up in an interview, like what are the, what are the sustainable development goals you're working towards? If someone goes, uh-huh, then it's yeah. going to tell a lot about how that company is being operated towards those. Whereas if someone can say, well, these are the five that we're focusing on and we know that we're not where we need to be, but we're working towards it. All of a sudden, those people feel part of that campaign, part of that mission to strive towards something that is bigger than them, that is more than just the output that the business produces. So if it's manufacturing widgets, if it's more than just that, it's the impact that it's having on society and community and the world in in, uh, in its whole. And that's what's driving a lot of motivation from younger generations in terms of purpose and meaning towards what they're doing, not just taking home a paycheck. Absolutely. And I think it's it's a completely different world. I suppose you feel really old when I think about it now, but it's a completely different market out there. And, and there is a genuine concern for people and for the environment in a way that I just don't think we've ever had before. And whilst it's very heartwarming and wonderful for what we're all trying to achieve, it is from a business perspective going to cause a lot of grief and hassle for the companies that either stick their head in the sand and resolutely refuse to embrace it or panic and don't know how. And, and from a family business perspective, you know, it's, it's wonderful to hear Fiona and, and Andrew talking about the support that's out there, the support they can give. And I think if you think you can do this on your own, you're going to really struggle. You know, all of us together in whatever way possible. I mean, Victoria and I have been giving talks to the to local um, businesses, SMEs in the, in the region, to try and help them on the sustainability journey, on their return to the office journey, because we are all in this together and Uh and we have a really, nobody wanted this to happen, but actually we have a really great opportunity post-pandemic to put sustainability front and centre, but to support each other. And, you know, maybe it's an 80s, 90s thing, but it was all about, you know, every man for himself and survival of the fittest. And and what's wonderful is a complete mindset change and one that aligns with family businesses. We've always been in in this position of how can we, collaborate how can we partner how can we co-create because that's where the strength and the sustainability of that comes from mm. and it, it's exciting that that could happen we yeah. just gotta people talk about it let's let's see if people actually do it yeah and i think one of the key differences between talk and it actually happening is action and that creates change and 
we're not necessarily as great with change as perhaps we think we are in some respects or certain aspects of change can take longer, have unintended consequences. I know one of the areas where you um, kind of specialise in, in is change management and how that can sort of be embraced in terms of sustainability. What sort of advice or guidance would you give to people out there who go, actually, we want to do this, we want to start measuring it's going to lead to change, and I'm not really sure how we deal with, with that bit. We want, we know what we want to do and where we want to get to, but it's the, the change bit we're struggling with. What sort of advice can you give them? I giggle because one, one name springs to mind, and it's Potter, bless him, and his eight steps, um, which haunts me. But uh, it's the quick wins, and it's the buy-in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where for us the SDG audit was the starting point and a really useful starting point because – what are we trying to achieve? Again, if we're trying to change the world, it's not going to happen. You're not going to get buy-in and people are going to be scared. If you can explain as a company why you're doing what you're doing, what are you hoping to achieve? How are you already on that journey? How have you already started? And then pick out those quick wins. If, if your staff, if your suppliers, if your customers can see those quick wins, they see the benefits of it. That motivates everyone. That, that galvanizes everyone to go okay great now what's the next step what what bigger thing can we now achieve and I, and I think it's it's very much unless everyone's on board and you've got genuine people leading it it's it's not going to happen the whole greenwashing thing people can spot it a mile off you can smell it a mile off wow. it doesn't motivate anyone if you're needing culture change to go with it if you're not being authentic about it nothing's going to happen and you are going to be fighting against it so I mean, my advice is if you genuinely don't mean it, don't bother. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of grief and hassle Absolutely. for nothing. But assuming that most people and certainly family businesses do, identify as a company what it is you want to achieve. We, we were fortunate straight away, carbon neutral pledge, boom. That's our target. That's what we bought into. And everything we do, every decision aligns with that. So from there, as, as a change process, right, what are our quick wins? What did the SCG audit show us that we're currently doing well or really well or okay, but we could do better, right? What are our quick wins? Now we feel really positive because we've got a load of stuff we're already doing and we're doing the new stuff really well. Great. Now we feel emboldened to take on the bigger project. Uh-huh. And it's that it's we're back to that whole progress, not perfection and not a big leap. And we have, we have partnered with so many people. There are so many experts out there desperately wanting to help. And it is getting that, getting that support network. Uh-huh. Then, it, then it's sustainable. You know, making sustainability sustainable, really, for me, is, is the change. If it's not genuine and heartfelt, it's never going to happen. And you mentioned there about decision-making and the decisions that you make, you use your sustainability goals as kind of a lens to, to make those decisions through. Does that make decision-making easier? In terms of now, we know what. So it's it's almost like a does this get us closer to where we want to go? Yes or no, rather than yeah. what are the fifty different variables that might pop up and sort of create this um, decision fatigue and uh, like procrastination and and indecision around well, is this Absolutely. the right thing? Is it the wrong thing? We're so good at procrastination. We're very good at <laughs> um, yeah, abs- absolutely, because it. it <laughs> It's how strategy should be, isn't it? You know, we, what are our goals? What are our objectives that feed into those goals? Well, if our goal is to be 
sustainable. Okay, what does that look like to us? Carbon neutral by 2028. Everything else we do feeds into that. And that's where I feel the 17 SDGs really help because you can pretty much align any business operation under one of those. Mm. And then you use that to help guide you. So yeah, as a, as a decision-making lens, I found it extremely helpful because, you know, quite a, well, almost all of it is a yes, no decision. But then if, if there is a bit of a gray area, okay, well, how does that work? Does put that align in the future? And, and, if, and if not, how? And it, it, yeah, it's, it's simplified it quite a lot. And, and while there is obviously some procrastination within that, generally speaking, the, the bigger picture is, yeah, it's, it's much more streamlined and effective. And then we know everything we're doing is to meeting those, meeting those goals that we've set. Yeah. And uh, yeah, some of them are going to take far longer than others, but we know we're on the right track. We know we're not deviating from what we want to achieve. Absolutely. And as a small business with limited capacity, that's, that's gold dust for us, really. Mm. Uh, a word you've mentioned again a, a couple of times is around the cost of what uh, sort of adopting different methods towards sustainability um, are. But part of sustainability is the business being around for a long time too, right? So it's not coming at the expense of necessarily whether the business survives or not. It's, it is a cost, but do you see it more as an investment towards profitability and therefore it's again it's productive in that sense rather than thinking well we're just laying out a load of cash for no reason yeah no i'm being massively hypocritical because when i'm using cost it is absolutely an investment and i think that's what we have to reframe in people's minds as i mean yes we are eye-watering sums that we're spending on on, on refurbishing um the inside and the outside of our beautiful beautiful building oh. but it is an investment because, as you say, it's it's sustaining the history of the building for Nottingham, and and it's it sort of cultural awareness. It's sustaining the family business for hopefully future generations for us. It's it's sustaining the companies that work within it, uh, and I think that's one of the big barriers that we found with the conversation around sustainability is that it's seen as a cost, mm-hmm. and if we can get people to see it as an investment, and again, that's where family businesses steal a march because that is generally where we come from. We can take the longer term view and we're not all of us beholden to shareholders who want the quicker return. And so, yes, it, a lot of the financial decisions we make just wouldn't stand up in a, in a sort of a PLC, but actually mm. we, we are therefore afforded the opportunity to make the, what I would consider to be the right decisions because we have the longer term focus. And a lot of what we're doing from a sustainability perspective has to take the longer term view. Because otherwise it just, it doesn't work, but we have to take a longer term view on sustainability to get ourselves out of the hole in which we find ourselves. Yeah. And again, just going back to the decision-making process and the, the concept of reframing it from a cost to an investment. If a cost is inevitable in terms of maintaining a building, again, having that lens of sustainability to look through when you're making that decision, the alternative is to not use sustainability and just, I don't know, do a, a worse job in refurbishing a, bu- a building as an example or maintaining a building poorly as an example. And when you look at that through the sustainability of that business 
part of it, then that's likely to have a detrimental impact on the longevity of that business. If you're cutting corners, if you're not looking at it through something that, you know, you do it once now and it's not going to be needed to be done for, for many years or it's going to be the alternative is it's done every other year as a result of cutting those corners. Making those decisions about investing because it's through that sustainability lens makes it easier as well, right? Yep. I think they, they align perfectly. I say, and that, that's what I, I like about the environmental sustainability supporting business sustainability. They are effectively one and the same, particularly as for an awful lot of businesses, ourselves included, although you wouldn't necessarily think about it. Climate change is making a huge impact. You know, we've got a beautiful, huge roof light um, that allowed light to pour through three stories uh, of later quarters. So that, um, you know, it's absolutely exquisite. Can it cope with the torrential downpours we're getting at the minute? Nope. When they, when they built the building, we didn't have the climate emergency that we have now. We didn't mm. have less rain, but more intensive rainfall when it comes, you know. And, and so for us, doing it right means protecting the building. Uh-huh. And, and it goes back to the sort of stewardship, custodianship that I think is, is the default position for most, if not all, family businesses. In, in wherever we are, yeah. you don't have to own a, a great two-listed building to do that. And I think it's making sure that the building is there not just for our future generations as a family business, but future generations of, of Nottingham and it just sounds a little bit grand and over the top but I think that's that's where we all are and, and from a sustainability viewpoint is that not what we're trying to achieve we are trying to protect and preserve for future generations yeah. and if we just kick it into touch it's just going to make it so much worse so as you say with your analogy of, of how you deal with things how you don't cut corners let's not cut corners now because we are really going to create problems for the future and I don't want to be part of that. And I know a lot of our, our, our tenants and our, and our fellow businesses don't want to, particularly in the family business sector, we do what we can. And mm. if, if there aren't the, you know, a lot of the decisions we make that don't have the optimum return on investment, but it's not about that. You know, it's about the longer term and it's about benefiting everybody. And if we can create value through our sustainability drive and through the sustainability lens that we use at decision-making, that's what it's about for us. Mm. And, I, and I suspect almost every family business out there. Yeah, and I'm just um, looking um, in terms of your job title um, again that the, you're the lead on well-being as well as sustainability. And again, the the kind of vibe I'm getting in terms of how passionate you are about it and how um, kind of ingrained it is within what you do as as a family business. You're you're deriving some personal well-being from that as well as it being good for the business, the family, the local community and, and beyond. From an individual perspective, it's delivering well-being to you. And I think that's something to recognize and be proud of too. It can, it can seem, well, we it's all about the looking after the planet and everyone else, but it's also about getting personal enjoyment out of it, right? It's, there's no point doing it if it's going to cause you a load of grief and pain. But the fact that it causes you um, joy and pain, yeah, <laughs> but the joy that you you get, the well being you get from it, is another reason to to do it. A selfish reason, if you like, to to do it. Yeah, there's that whole philosophical debate, isn't it? About can anything be truly altruistic? Because if you get some degree of pleasure out of it, then it's not. Um, it's it's hugely rewarding for me personally to know that I am doing all I can to help the planet, the people, you know, Victoria and I work extremely hard and 
sometimes too hard. We, you know, we work too late, we put too much stuff in into our day, like most people do in a family business. And we do it because that's how we've been brought up. And uh-huh. I think that's, that is the special thing about working in a family business. When you see the legacy of your ancestors, depending on how many generations of, of business you are, it's just naturally part of who you are and the decisions that you make and how you, the, the context in which you make your decisions and you plan for the future. And it is very important to me on a personal level that the people who use our buildings are well looked after, their mental health is supported, their physical health is supported, as much as the companies for whom they work. I wouldn't want to go into a building that wasn't looking after me in that way. And I don't, I feel a responsibility to make sure that our offices and the building in which they sit does whatever it can within the, the confines of the listing and the heritage and, and, and whatever to, to do that. And it does give me a warm, fuzzy feeling when we succeed and it gives me the absolute opposite feeling when we don't. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that we've moved into um, that I've been passionate about for a long time and now been able to bring to the fore through work, which is fantastic, as you say, on a sort of personal uh, pleasure basis is, is the concept of building health and how we can use building health to support mental, physical well-being and sustainability because the two go hand in hand. So, so for us, we make sure that uh, we're really focusing on our indoor air quality, the things like not using chemicals in all of our cleaning, uh-huh. um, just make sure we're not polluting the water, make sure that we are using refillables so that our single-use plastic is plummeting. And then in terms of our thermal comfort, you know, both indoor air quality, thermal comfort, huge drivers of, of mental health, physical health, positive and negative. So what can we do to mitigate that? How can we use building health? We have this 50,000 square foot. How can we maximise the health of the building and help the health and well-being of the people within it? And I'm passionate about that. And I feel very grateful to have the opportunity to do that. And when we're both losing our minds over (laughs) what's happening within like retrofitting or, or something like that, you know, that is, it's a really important point that you raised to keep, keep the floor. You know, yeah. we, we are in a position as a family business to be able to do that. And I think it's a tremendous privilege and it, it should be used well. I think. Yeah. And I think that the purpose of this particular series on sustainability is to share stories of businesses that have done what they're doing and done them well and are, are happy to share and I'm I'm delighted that you're uh, on the show sharing your story and your experiences and the keys I think in terms of I mean the audience will take away what they'll take away but for, for me is this progress not perfection and start where you are and look and measure and see what what's important to you and, and to drive against and you mentioned about there being people that are able to um, support and guide if it's not something that you've done before and is that something that you're able to I don't want to get you inundated with loads of uh, requests off the back of this um, but is that something that you're able to assist other businesses with as well because you've been through this process yeah absolutely I mean as you say the, the key thing for me is collaboration and looking at other people's experiences and appreciating where they've not been as successful as perhaps they'd hoped as well as the success stories. It's, you know, uh-huh. there's a whole load of things I can tell people about things that we've tried that haven't worked. Um, and it's about being realistic and 
yes, you know, as far as if anyone wants to get in touch with me, they're very welcome just on a on a chat basis, particularly anyone in the heritage or retrofitting sector who may be struggling and smacking their head against those lovely listed walls as we <laughs> repeatedly do. Um, but yeah, in terms of in terms of the tools, it's something that we have that we can offer uh, support to to fellow SMEs and family businesses, and people are very welcome to get in touch. I think if if this is going to happen, genuinely, unless we all partner together in on whatever level, informally, formally, we are really going to struggle. And there is something magical about family businesses and the family business sector. And I think to harness our mindset and our sort of collective desire to to sustain society, the environment, the economy on a longer term basis. I know Fiona was talking about it in terms of, you know, us being the backbone of of the British economy and we have such a big part to play, Uh but we're not going to do that individually. You know, so formal support, informal support, any help that we can give, you know, that's that's part of what we're here for. I think we, you know, as I said just now, if you're in a in a fortunate position to be able to do that, kind of feel a moral obligation, willingly moral obligation to, to do that because you only learn. I've learned so much from other people, you know, and, and the mistakes as much as the first lessons. Yeah. And if it helps speed the process or in, encourages and empowers someone else to do that, that's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. So, yes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. And what's the best way for people to get in touch if they want to and find out more about you mentioned about the business but also the heritage project that you've um, been involved in regarding the building where's the best place for people to find out more about that as well? um, so uh, the website for the archive if they're interested in the history of it is the birkin building uk and that's uh, birkin as in birkin bag for the ladies amongst us because uh-huh. actually was uh, jane birkin of birkin bag fame is the Birkin family. She was there as a small child. So there's a lot of history about that, which is great. Um, LinkedIn, just please connect to LinkedIn or, or email me. Becky.valentine at spendbit.co.uk. Fantastic. Just very, very happy. As I say, we are, we are so at the micro, micro end of, of family business SMEs. And, and my view is if we can do it, anyone can. And, and, and I, you know, use that to try and, to say empower people because I found it very daunting when I first came across the SDGs and I felt so passionately that we should do something and use that as a core but I had no idea where to start Uh and and then I feel that we have empowered ourselves because we are only two people and we work incredibly hard and look what we've done yeah you know so so many businesses can achieve so much more and it's really exciting what the possibilities are absolutely echo those views entirely and all that's left for me to say is becky thank you so much for your time and uh, sharing your experiences it's been a brilliant episode really enjoyed it and i'm sure the audience will take loads away from it as well so thank you very much thank you very much for inviting me on take care thank you listening i really do appreciate it if you found the show helpful please consider leaving a review on itunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter if what i've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business i can help i provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes so please get in touch if you'd like to know more head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with russ until next time take care